Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message by Ben Fitzgerald. Wow, that was a tearjerker, that one. My goodness. Great job, Ben. That was a phenomenal video, man. When I get home, I'm going to share that video. If it's on social media, I'd suggest you do the same. It's just an amazing depiction of Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. Hey, we were trapped. And that's my Jesus. What I mean by that is I know being how it is to be trapped like that. I was exactly like that. I was, uh, I was even trapped after I was a believer. I was broken with sin. And Jesus is mercy. His mercy is beyond what you think you're worthy of. And uh, actually, that's the title of my message this morning. It's two times as worthy. And, uh, and the reason why it's called two times as worthy is because he has made us worthy, but he's also worthy of something from us now. And, uh, and we're just going to dive into the scriptures here, but I'm sorry, I kind of lost my place, honestly, watching that. I was like, that was hard for me to watch, um, to kind of compose myself. I was just about to break open my heart and just begin to weep because the Lord's done that for me and he's done it for you. And if you're here for the first time this morning, you're like, oh, this is a one of those crazy Christian churches with their little Easter service, you're right, but uh, we are crazy. <laughs> you're 100% right, we are. But our little Easter service, we're not here singing out to a God that you can't see because He's done nothing for us or because it's some ideology or religion in our head. We're here because Jesus has set us free. And we sing songs to God and we're exuberant to God because He took us out of brokenness and shame. And I remember, just like that girl, when I used to write, actually I used to look in the mirror and I used to berate myself, and I, I would see demons in my face. I hated myself before I met Jesus. And even sometimes after I met Him, and not because of Him, but because of lying spirits, lying voices, I began to hate myself, and God always reminded me of my created value. And the cross does not show you the greatest suffering that's ever suffered. The cross shows you the greatest victory ever won. And, that, and it doesn't just show you your guilt. It does show us our guilt. It shows us our need for a Savior, but it also shows us the great value God has for you. It's beyond what you think of yourself. The way you've marginalized your own value, you know, people in the church are always trying to get to another place of humility, and, and I really celebrate and love humility. It's necessary 100%, but false humility is, is more like self-hatred than humility. And Jesus does not hate you. He's exactly like that picture. He smashed that glass. He smashed that invisible prison of sin that you were in. And He did it because He loves you, and He took the beating for you. And then after that, he's, it's exactly... the. the that video is the gospel, simplicity of the gospel. He embraces you when we're the ones who should be running to embrace Him. He even then, when He's forgiven us, embraces us, and then we love Him back. And that's why Jesus said, He said, no greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Well, He laid down His life when Jesus said, for His friends, friends with an S on the end. Friends were me and you before we were friends. When we were enemies in our own way, in our own mind, Jesus called you a friend because he said, no greater love has anyone shown you than what I'm about to show you and you don't deserve it, but I'm your friend before you even knew I was. Because God's a friend of sinners. That's what he said in his own words. That's why the Pharisees couldn't deal with him, man, because he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and the wicked and he made them feel like they were valuable. What did they have to give God? What does anybody have to give God? What human alive can give God an equal sacrifice of measure in accordance with his great unlimited power? There is nobody that can do that. That's why he did it for you. 
That's why you're here. And so if someone invited you to church this morning, I'm glad you came here because you're looking at an ex-drug dealing guy, ex-criminal, uh, ex-prostitute addict. You're looking at a person who even after a believer made many, many mistakes, addicted to porn. You're looking at a, a perfect illustration of the brushstroke of God's mercy. And I can do nothing except praise God for that. I can't, I can't put the little badge on myself. Listen, there's a very, very good book by Max Licato. It's about the Wemmicks, these little um, dolls, you know, I can't remember the name of the book, I think it's U.S. Special or something, and, uh, and it's an amazing cartoon book, it's for little kids, but when I read that book, it broke me, because the world puts on stars, the world puts on marks, and says, you're not valuable, or you're not a billionaire, listen, the cross equalizes all of humanity, from the billionaire businessman to the homeless man, the cross equalizes everybody, we all come through the same cross, there's no person who can stand before God and say, God, I was righteous enough to make it here, or I was a good enough human for you to choose me. God doesn't choose humans of good intention. God chooses people who know they need God. You know, if Ferrari's no good without an engine in it, if a Ferrari's sitting on the side of the road, it's to be admired, but it's going nowhere. And a person that believes that they can attain godliness is like a Ferrari without an engine. They think on the outside that they're doing well, but on the inside, they're just as broken as everybody else. And I now have an insight into the lives of some famous people. I know some very, very well-known people. And you know what I tell you? All they want when I meet them is prayer. They don't want money. They don't want, you know, more fame. It doesn't fill them. All that fills them is God. And they recognize that even the poorest amongst them, if they have God, are richer than they are. Because the riches of life is love, freedom, joy, family, friendship. These are the things that really matter. If I could say to you, I'll give you one partner for the rest of your life who will be with you forever. They'll love you unconditionally and they'll be a friend to you and fight for you. Or I'll give you a hundred billion dollars. You'd choose the partner. Because you can't take away the price of love. The value of it is invaluable. And if you can choose Jesus over this present life and this present reality, then do it. Because there's nothing here that will fulfill you like He can. And He became a friend to you before you were ever His friend. Even if you're in here and you're like, I don't believe in you, Jesus. He believes in you more than you believe in Him. He thinks about you all the time. And on that rugged cross, and I mean rugged, I remember one day I felt the splinters of Jesus' cross in my, my chest. It was a weird feeling, like kind of like a, like a vision or apparition type thing where I was standing next to a stage ready to preach and you know, I was ready to do my thing, man, do my message and preach the, the ABCs of the gospel and just begin to prepare uh, myself and just get confident. I'm ready to, to share Jesus and, and to share a message. And, and really, honestly, that day I was probably being more of a professional Christian because I was just like, I'm ready, I'm thinking what I need to do and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and all of a sudden I felt this broken uh, body. It was like this weird feeling right near me and I had my eyes closed as we were finishing the worship, and I saw the, this chest of Jesus, and, and then I saw around the side of him, his back, and I felt that it was almost like I felt the cross go across my chest, rub up and down my chest, and it felt splinters. I could feel it, and I was like, he didn't just die on a cross as a metaphorical symbol. He had real flesh as if it was torn open by that cross. And I felt those splinters like they were going into my chest. And I, and I began to tremble. I, was like, I said, God, I said, God, I can't believe what you did. Please never let me forget. Like it says, it, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.10, he said, I live with the present reality of the resurrection inside me, but I also live with the death inside me that Christ may be raised inside. Because if you don't understand his death, you can never really be thankful and never truly know what it means to have his life. And I got it that day. I was like, it was a real rugged, blood-covered cross. They probably martyred somebody a year beforehand who was a murderer on the same piece of wood. It was a bloody cross. 
It wasn't a pretty thing. But Jesus turned the most brutal instrument in human history into the greatest beacon of hope for every nation. He turned that which is brutal, that which was torturous, into that which gives hope to every broken soul. That's what He did for you. He didn't come to start a new religion. He didn't come to teach you 15 ways to have a better life relationship with God, 15 ways to have a better marriage. He didn't come to teach us principles only. He had no masks in His love for you. He doesn't wear a mask. He just loves you. He doesn't have any tricks up His sleeve. He didn't come to the earth, whoops, He didn't come to the earth to actually create some new religion, new system of doctrine that you'd live by. Yes, he preached doctrines, and yes, there's doctrine of of the Lord and doctrines of the apostles, but he didn't come for that reason only. He came to demonstrate what God in flesh would be like so God could get in your flesh. He did it for you. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another translation says, the Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And that's what happened with you. Jesus is God, the Lord of the universe. The galaxies submit and surrender to him. And yet he humbled himself. That's why it's such a great humbling. Like we don't understand. It's such a great humbling. Say Roger Federer, a tennis player, very elegant guy, worth a lot of money. It would be like him winning Wimbledon and then deciding, actually, I don't want this crown for me. I've put in 100 years of work playing tennis, hitting a billion balls a week against the wall, but I give this and I'm and walking up into the grandstands and giving it to a homeless lady smoking cigarettes with needle marks in her arm and saying, I give you the Wimbledon. That's what Jesus did for you. And he didn't do it so that you could glorify him and, and so you could exalt him. He doesn't need our exalting. He did it because he wanted you to be free. Galatians 5.1 proves it, says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the reason. And yes, I love the, the, the Word of God. I love doctrine. Actually, I was reminded this morning as I came in, uh, as I was just in the beginning of worship, of how much I love the Bible. One of my favorite Bible teachers is here. I haven't seen him in many years, Rory. He's a very, very good Bible teacher, and he was one of my favorites. Phenomenal. And I was like, man, I, I just I love the Bible teaching. I want more of that, you know, more of the instruction and the, the beautiful teaching. But nothing beats the simple gospel. No teaching will ever, no other foundation, it says, can anyone lay apart from the one that's already laid which is Christ Jesus. It's already laid. So there'll never be a teaching. There'll never be another way. You can put another ism on the end, Buddhism, whatever ism. Buddhism, by the way, Siddhartha is his real name. He's not fat, by the way. He's a very skinny man. I don't know why they made him. I, I probably, he would probably be ashamed of his followers because they've turned him into a big fat guy who sits on a temple. And like, that's not what he was like. Actually, he, was very, he fasted. He was a very instructed young man and, and everything. But one of the last things he said to his disciples was, I am not the way. And he said it that way, the way. When Jesus came 500 years later approximately, he said, here I am, behold, in the fullness of the book, it's written of me. And he said, I am the way. I'm the one you've been looking for. And the reason why we needed a way that's not like us is because a broken vessel can't lead other slaves out of brokenness. A city Haratha can't lead me out of brokenness because he's a broken vessel. A Muhammad can't lead me out of brokenness because he's a broken vessel. A Yogananda can't lead me out of brokenness. Even if he's fasted 80 day, days on a mountain, I can, I can applaud the human achievement. But he cannot take the sin issue of my soul. He can't take the brokenness that's on the inner man. He cannot take the invisible prison and this system called the flesh or the fall of Adam out of my spirit. He can only teach me to try and get better. 
while I've jumped that rope a hundred amount, I've, not a hundred, I've jumped it like a million times and it wore me out. I've jumped the rope of even better Christian and I realize it's only by grace. It is only by grace. You need grace to be a better Christian. You think that you can pat yourself on the back? Join the Pharisee club. Not a good club to be in. They don't have as much glory in their club. Nobody can pat themselves on the back enough. It's by grace that we're saved and it's also by grace that we're transformed. But he made you worthy. Why don't you open the Bible to Revelation chapter 4, please? And then we'll finish here soon. It's a shorter service today, um, but we're going to teach a little bit. If you, again, if it's your first time here, man, we welcome you so much. We love you. It's great that you're here. And, and if you leave this place going, man, those Christians are pretty crazy. Um, that's a good revelation to take home. That's true. Um, but I want you to leave knowing this, that we love you regardless of whether you choose Jesus today or not. We still love you. If you come back in a year's time next Easter and, and you still are uncertain about Jesus, we still love you. This is a place of love. It's a place of freedom. Um, you know, you belong here before you believe everything that we teach, but you still have to end up believing it because there's no other way but Jesus. I'd be a liar to tell you there was. Would you like me to lie to you and tell you, hey, just have a good life, go and find a couple of other girls and, you know, try and fulfill your soul through relationships? I I've been around that. I've skipped that rope. It killed me. Not only did it kill me, but I was manipulating and killing other people. You don't want that. You don't want to go around that bend. Um, you know, maybe just keep partying. You don't want to go that bend. I've done that as well. You know what that did to my soul? Messed me up, messed my mind up too. Couldn't think right. Had depression and all these kind of weird things happening in my life because I decided to put a bit of cocaine up my nose and decided to, you know, do a few things here and smoke a bit of weed just to try and calm and ease the pain. People say to me, they're like, oh no, it's not a bad thing what we're doing. We're just easy, you know, it's just good to have fun, have a party. I'm like, do you realize, man, like if there was no pain in you, you wouldn't need it to be eased. And they're like, no, no, it's just us having fun. I'm like, then why can't you have fun without that? Because if I take a little three-year-old kid up here, or five-year-old like these girls before, they're having a lot of fun. And they're not walking up to you going, can you please pray for me? I'm having some really serious relationship issues with the other three-year-old girl over there. Who, you know, she, she was dancing. Uh, before, I was there before her. And, and, and now she's taken like the whole center stage. And they're not coming down asking Dan for counseling because they, you just don't feel loved. They're free. They don't need anything up their nose. They don't need anything except the freedom of Jesus. Well, the Bible says to be like a child, and if there's anything you could take away from today, take this, that Jesus can make you brand new. If your life is hurting and broken within, you feel like the child inside your life was smashed up by the world, smashed up by sin. It's true, all of us have been. We're all fractured vessels. But I know the answer who can make you brand new, brand new. You can be like that child, mature, of course, free, of course, but like the kid. Doesn't need anything else to make the person happy. They just have happiness from Jesus, from God. And you can have the same happiness because God's a beacon of light. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, we'll talk about how God is worthy. But before I do that, do you mind if I read something to you really quick? Is that okay? Just really, really fast. I have 50,000 notes, you know, the notes thing on your phone. I always forget where I put that note, uh, you know. And I've done this before. I've read the wrong stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, go down to the mall and get the... I'm like, no, that's not the one. Okay, here we go. This is a poem I wrote, and I just would love to read it to you before we um, dive a couple of scriptures here, and then we're going to pray. Uh, and we're going to ask the power of the Holy Spirit. Power. Because Jesus isn't just word, He's power. We're going to ask for the power of the anointing. It's the same power that's going to come into Prague, where there's 0.23% believers in that stadium, but also in those mass outreaches. But this is a poem I wrote on the plane, traveling, I believe at the time I was traveling to England about four weeks ago. 
The Earth is mysteriously hanging at a perfect distance from the Sun and from all the other planets. It had that perfect chemical formulation inside it to sustain all life coming from the Sun and every human, every planet, every plant living. If you change or even mix the molecular structure by one single slight change in variation, everything on the Earth will perish. A cluster of planets, moons and stars, and all the manner of other creative things around it, all of which hover perfectly around the sun, if they didn't, or the Earth was even 10 miles closer to the sun, every one of us would be a pancake. Picture the Earth. Picture it in your mind, just hovering gracefully there, like a ball in the middle of this teardrop like a teardrop, sorry, in the middle of this huge galaxy, like a little teardrop just perfectly hanging there. Surrounding this ball, everything that's in the universe, sustaining the life just on this ball alone, it doesn't float off somewhere else, it doesn't implode on itself, it doesn't explode on itself, it just sits there, hanging perfectly, in its perfect balance, and if it was 10 miles away, it would be dead, it would explode, it would be gone, and if it was 10 miles closer, it would be fried, it would be burnt, it would perish, but it doesn't. It sits there gracefully, hanging like a teardrop in the middle of the universe. Why? All that is, all that is on the planet, all that is discoverable in the universe, all the planets that they have seen and known, all of these things hover around one place, around the earth and around that great sun. All of them seem to feed life from the sun, but also to feed life back to the earth. Everything is in perfect symmetry. Not anything else, not anybody else can prove otherwise. It would be like me grabbing a handful of marbles and throwing them as fast and hard as I can against the wall, hoping that they land perfectly distanced from one another and then begin to spin perfectly around the earth, around the sun. Am I supposed to believe that this very place where I exist, where I breathe the perfect chemi chemical formulation into my lungs that I did not create, where I smell the fragrance of breathtaking flowers that I couldn't even imagine in my mind but only dream of, where I see my six-foot-one body now working alive with characteristics, able to speak to you, and it started as a weird little fish-like thing that was swimming up my mother's canal. Am I supposed to believe that this was all a chance, coincidence, and mistake? Am I supposed to believe that my six-foot-one frame, which can run when it needs to run, which sleeps and rests, which can feel the depths of emotion so gripping that I would go and give my life or risk my life on behalf of another one being saved, came by chance and coincidence. It was all just an accident. Am I supposed to believe that all that I am started as just a little tiny fingernail in size and that was all a mistake? That was all a chance. That was all coincidence. Am I supposed to believe that my ability to explore, perceive, feel, and most of all love all these different things inside me was a chance, coincidence, accident, and all the chance elements happened to come upon the earth, come into my life and my existence, only as a random act of the universe, devoid of purpose. Am I supposed to believe that? I don't think so. I was made by someone. I was made for someone. And there is a creator who loves and gave me meaning when I didn't even have a mind to comprehend the word meaning. Seven billion people are here, everyone completely with different eyes, completely different fingerprints, different heights, different shapes, not one alike, someone placed a mark on you. I am not a chance, I am not a, I'm not a coincidence, and you are not a chance, you are a child. We are all a love creation, 
in this big house called the earth and there is one family on the earth, one mastermind of the universe and the authority of it all is the father of this house because your life as it is in its existence is the father's heart manifested called the will of God. He is real. He is God. No matter what a scientist says, no matter what an author says, no one can write him out of his own history. God himself created all of these amazing things for one reason, not to make himself grand, but that he might enjoy fellowship with the people he created. The fellowship belongs to us. It belongs to you. That's all. That's all. This Jesus... Your life is not a mistake. This Jesus came for you and he purposed you in his heart. He came when you had nothing to give God and he gave everything. That's why the cross is so deeply significant. Revelation 4 says this. It says that they, the, the 24 elders in verse 10 it says, they all fell down before God in heaven. They do this constantly. They fell down before him who sits on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and ever. In, in other words, there is no death in him. They cast their crowns before the throne. These are physical crowns, but in a, in a sense, they cast what they have as valuable before what, what is something of greater value. And it says, they say this to him in verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, all things exist. How is God worthy to receive power? God's already powerful. How is God worthy to receive honor? God's already honorable. He doesn't need my honor. God doesn't get more powerful when Ben says you're powerful. He is what he is. But what God has done is in his own, in his amazing brilliance, like when you just look at a little kid, little girl, you look at her in the eyes like a little baby and she looks at you and she just blinks and she does that. She just looks at you like you're the, the best thing that's ever happened. All of a sudden, even though you felt bad about yourself 10 minutes ago, all of a sudden you feel value from her. She's looking at you like she loves you. Even a dog licks you, you feel value. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason. <laughs> it's true. Some dogs are like, come here, you, you just, they love you, man. That's why they call it a man's best friend. He doesn't see your sin nature, that dog. But, um, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason why when you look a child in the eyes, you see the brilliance, you see the, the innocence and the purity, and your heart comes alive around family. It's because there was somebody who made all things and created them all in his existence that it would reflect his very nature. The first thing Adam ever saw when he came, when, when God breathed on him, made him a living soul, it says he breathed into his mouth. All the other creations, God didn't breathe face to face with them. Adam was the only one that God got face to face with. The very first thing he saw, he opened his eyes and he saw the mirror. He saw the very first thing is he saw the eyes of the Father. That was the very first image man ever beheld. Now it's been a billion images since that have taken us away from our perfectly created image, which is God. But the very first image, the very first snapshot, the very first capture of the eye, the very first photograph of the eye, if you would, was God himself. It's the first thing anybody ever saw. And he wasn't, when, when he breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul, he didn't wake up and see God like this. He didn't wake up to that. He woke up to God saying, and God says it in his own word, in God's heart, and God's face reflects his heart. Because the, the face, Jesus said, the eyes of the window of the soul, says, behold, it is very good what I made. And he looked upon his creation. This is very good. I've made a son for myself in my image that I can fellowship with, just like my other son, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns. And that's why when God says he's worthy to receive honor and power and glory, 
He doesn't need any more power, but he's worthy of, of the brush stroke of the masterpiece of creation that he's made you. He's worthy of you. And when you give it back to him, what it does is it's, it's saying this painting was yours all, all the, the whole time. And you have the ability, God, to repaint it, to do whatever you want with it. You're worthy to receive this masterpiece that you remade through the cross, through the blood of Jesus. You're worthy of all my life. So when he receives glory and power and honor, it's not because he needs it. It's not because it puffs him up. He knows that when that painting goes back to its original artist, he knows that painting becomes its real life. It, it's, there's nobody else who can behold that painting with more value than God himself. It's like Mozart. Mozart paints a painting or writes a song or somebody else paints an amazing painting. Mozart's not a painter. He's a songwriter. I just realized that when I said it. But Mozart writes a beautiful song. When he writes that song, when he composes that song, no one on the earth is going to have the same kind of value for that song as Mozart himself. Because it came out of his spirit. When Dan wrote that song, there's no other name like Jesus, many people around the earth will sing that song and they'll be touched by it. But no one will have quite the same value that Daniel has is when he wrote it in his bedroom before the Lord. When God receives all worthiness, glory, power, and honor, he receives it from you because there is nobody else who beholds the masterpiece of his creation more valuably than he does. So when you come back to God and say, God, I give you my life because you're worthy of it, he then shows you not only is he worthy, but he shows you you're worthy. And he showed you when, you were, when we were dead to ourselves, we had nothing to give God. He gave the highest price. I just read a story yesterday about Iran. There was a woman in, in Iran who had acid poured on her face. Her husband didn't like her. And, uh, oh, sorry, excuse me, her boyfriend. Her husband, she was, she was going to marry this man and he didn't like her, and, and something happened, and she was like, I don't want to marry you anymore, because he was controlling her and whatever. So one day she came, he said, come to my house. She came to the house, and, and he poured acid on her face. And if you see the photo of her, her whole face is disfigured. She doesn't look human anymore. But one remarkable thing that I read in this article yesterday, I couldn't believe it when I read it. She's not even a Christian. But she has some, there's enough of it, says in, in Romans, eternities in their hearts. There's enough of something inside her to know that there is a way to forgive. And you know what she did? They had him ready, tied up, ready to pour acid in his face. Because that's the way it works. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He, he would be deserving, would he not? He would be deserving because he ruined a woman's life. She couldn't even eat properly because her face was so mangled. She doesn't look beautiful anymore. She looked beautiful before. She looked completely broken. And they were ready and they had him tied down and, and they're ready to do this to him. They were going to throw it on him. And, and she was in the room because that's the way it just goes down there, man. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm just saying this is the truth. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And this woman, the man looked at this woman as she's standing there. And he said to, this man said to her, I hate you. And he cursed her, he began to swear at her. I hate you. you. You're worth nothing. I'm glad I threw the, the acid in your face. That's what he was saying. And then, and then and it, it boiled her up, you know. And then as she was saying that, as he was saying this to her, and she was beginning to get angry, all of a sudden, th this feeling came over her. If I do this, if I, if I just give back to him what he gave to me, haven't I, aren't I just as guilty? Haven't I done the same thing? Isn't his life more valuable than this, than pouring acid? Isn't his life worth more than just covering his face with acid like he's done to me? Don't I have something inside me that can show him he has value? And even though he was cursing her, she decided just before they were ready to pour it on him, she said, stop, wait. She said, wait. She said, forgive this man, please do not pour this acid on him. She goes, I want to forgive him. Oh, and they're like, no, no, look at your face. 
You can't do anything right. You can't eat properly. You were brutalized for this man's life. You were the innocent one. He said, yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm the innocent one. But his life is still a life. It's still worth something. And I don't want to be caught in this trap where, this trap of sin where we just play eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and we give because we got hurt and we hurt back. I don't want to play that game anymore. And actually, she took a similar road to Jesus because he was innocent too. And we were the ones that says in the Bible very clearly, it says that we cursed him, we mocked him. It says we were retrobate in our mind. In other words, with God, we were always in an argument, even if all he was trying to say is, I love you. We'd argue back, no, you don't, and you're not loved. But we were ready to be punished. We were ready to be given over to death. But that's not what God said of us. So as she told the men, please do not do this to him. And they were court martialed, like they were prop- this is a proper court sentencing, hearing the whole deal. She said, do not do this to, them, to this man. And he turned around to her and, and they stopped doing it. They're ready to pour the ass on his face. He turned around to her and he said to her, he goes, why are you doing this to me? Why? And he couldn't believe it. Tears being a will up and he's shaking, trembling. Why? Why aren't you punishing me? It's more blessed to forgive than, she said this, she said, it's more blessed to, to forgive than it is to punish. She showed that man that even though he deserved punishment, she was, he was still worth something, even in her eyes, even in her enemy's eyes, she saw him as worth something. Well, we were like that with God. All of us were like that, but it says here very clearly that God made all things and by Him all things exist. Everything you're breathing, all the oxygen, the planet, everything that's just here perfectly for you. Everything was given as a gift to us. But we mock that gift. Oh, I live for myself. I don't believe in you, God. I don't need you, God. We mock it all the time by the way we live, by the way we treat people. And God could easily say to us, you know what? You hurt that girl. You manipulated that woman. You hurt that guy. You stole that person's money secretly no one ever saw. Now you have to pay back exactly what you've done. But that's not what God said. God measured your worth against Jesus himself and said, you know what? I will allow my son who's never hurt anybody whom the whole universe bows to. It'd be like that Federer thing. I'll allow him to take the trophy and give it to the homeless woman. He allowed Jesus to be beaten and crucified on our behalf that he might not just call Jesus worthy of all praise, but he might say that you're worthy of knowing God. But I promise you that none of us in this room are worthy on our own merit. Every one of you at some point in your life were guilty of sin. And if you don't believe you were, just ask your relatives. Say, have I never sinned against you ever? Oh, they'll remember. Everybody's stuffed it up. Everybody's a fractured, broken vessel. But the Word of God says very clearly in John chapter 3 that God did not come to condemn the world through Jesus, but through Him the world might be saved. The cross does not just represent your guilt. It's an exchange of your value. You were on that cross. You were ready to be martyred because you've hurt and crushed people in life. Because you've lied, manipulated. And if you think you don't, oh no, I've always been a good little person. I've tried my best. Your best tries aren't the best. You've still hurt people. And if you haven't hurt people, you've hurt yourself. And God gave you the body that you've been given. When I put cocaine up my nose, this body was a gift and I was hurting the body. That's a sin against the giver. But Jesus, when we were on the cross ready to be tortured, he said, excuse me, excuse me. I'd like to say something, please. They looked around. What do you want to say? Not only was he there to say something, he'd been mocked for three and a half years by the people he created. I'd like to say something. 
that girl who's caught in adultery, who's ready to be killed, I'd like to take the beating for her. I'd like to say something about her life. I understand what she's done to you. I understand that, yes, she deserves what she's going through. But I'd like to tell you that she is worth more than what she's going through. She's worth more than even her mistakes, even though they are true and they are right, right to be judged. She's worth more. And so he said, I'd like to go in her place. And when Jesus got on the cross, he got on there as an innocent man. People say the sin of the world came on him. It's true in this sense that he became the guilt that we are. He became as we are. He didn't just die for us, he died as us. But Jesus went to the cross as an innocent person. It says a lamb without spot. He didn't go there going, yeah, put this sin on me, put that sin on me. He went there in, in complete trembling of soul. And he said that even though I don't deserve this, I will go for it for you. I'll do it for you. He didn't have to do that. He could have pronounced us judged. He could have said there's no point to these human beings. All they do is rebel. He could have looked at the state of the world and said, awesome, Syria's fighting Israel. Here I am in Israel. These dudes are fighting these people. Rome's controlling the city I live in. There's all this murder. Here's this woman in adultery. Here's this guy who's lying and cheating people with taxes. There's a whole bunch of sin. But God saw beyond that and he showed you what value is. The cross doesn't just re represent guilt. It represents the value God has for humanity. And he turned that brutal stick. You know the cross now? He turned it into a beacon of hope. The cross is one of the number one things in the world that people tattoo on themselves. Because for some reason, it carries a sense of hope. Well, that sense is 100% true. So when it's written in Revelation 4 that He is worthy to receive all glory, all honor, and all praise, the reason why He's worthy is because not only did He see a fallen world and know He could diagnose, yes, it's fallen. Not only did He see it, but he, he had no mask. He had no private agenda, but He actually did something. He backed up with His words. He backed it up by getting on that cross for you. And He showed you, you were worthy long before you even had self-worth. If you're tired of the rat race in here, man, if you came here to church today, I'm like, I am tired of the rat race. Yes, I'm married, but I'm addicted to porn. Yes, I'm, I'm a good guy. I go to work every day, but I cannot stop doing things in darkness that nobody sees. Or yes, you know, I put on a good face at work, but I'm empty on the inside. I live for money. I, I drill a, a little drill into the thing so someone gives me a piece of paper, and that's the reason I live. I'm living for business, for a little drill, not knowing that at any point in time like that, your life could be snuffed out. Not knowing that someone could pour acid on your face. The world isn't a pretty place necessarily, but what the world is, is a place where people can get free from the world. But the way to freedom, that's why Buddha said, I'm not the way. I'm stuck in this system like you are. The way to freedom, there is only one. It's the way of this cross. And this cross equalizes every person. It's our minus and his plus that makes us valuable. If you're in here today and you don't know this Jesus, I want to tell you, man, the Son of God didn't come to make a new religion. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to take the rat race out of you. He came to take this search for significance that you are so burning to try and find value from people for. He came to show us there's a better mirror, not a cracked one. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. The pursuit of money, the pursuit of fame, the pursuit of relationship to fill another person. How can a broken, fractured person fill a broken, broken fractured vessel? How is that possible? It's not possible. Both of them are going to leak. But Jesus came as the perfect Lamb of God, perfect in everything that He did. And not only did He live, but on His cross as He died, 
He took everything that you are worthy of judgment for. And then three days later, they found him, just like in that video, with those nail-pierced hands. And he looks through them like that. I love you. That's That's the lens God sees through. We all see life through a different lens, but the lens Jesus sees through is the lens of that nail-pierced hand saying, I love you, you're valuable, come home to me. So this morning, I want everybody just quickly to close their eyes. This morning, if you're here and, and you don't know why you're here, someone brought me to church, and these Christian weirdos, man, I don't know why I'm here, but it's Easter, right? I used to go to church when I was a drug dealer at Easter even as well. It's Easter. The egg that you eat chocolate for represents new life. But that new life came through someone's death. And today I want to invite you that if you're in this room and maybe you you once followed God or you believed in Jesus, but you fell away from Him, you went back away from your faith, you've diverted your focus, you've turned your life into living for family or living for business or living for money, or even if it's this, that you've turned from God Himself and said, I'm going to choose this religion or this kind of spiritual path. But you know, there's a reason why you came here this morning. I want to tell you, it's absolutely no coincidence you're here. You're on God's calendar. He brought you into this room. If you even just backtrack in your mind, why did I even come here? You feel like something drew you here because it did. It's the Holy Spirit who knows your created value. And Jesus went bankrupt. He bankrupted himself so that he could lift you up. And this morning, he wants you to be free. But you've got to come to him. You can't hold on to you. You've got to come to God as you are. The famous Nirvana song, they took it from Jesus. Come as you are. Jesus said that, but He'll never leave you as you are. He'll transform you when you come to Him. So if that's you in this room, you've fallen away from God, or you don't know that you have a living relationship with Him, and your life is just searching for the significance, and it's not being fulfilled because of the the weight of sin and death, I want you to put your hand up as fast as you can. Nobody's looking right here. There's no one looking at you. Yes, I see you guys. Bless you. Thank you so much. I see you. I see you guys. Awesome. Anybody else? Is there anybody else? Yes, I see you, bro, up the back. Awesome. Is there anybody else? You've never had this living relationship with God, and this morning you want it. You want to know Jesus. I see that hand up the very back. Thank you so much. Is there anybody else? Don't be afraid, man. This is a moment in time where God wants to -to face-to-face encounter you. Don't miss this moment because your life is too precious. Your soul is too valuable. I would preach this same message for another hundred hours till I dropped off this pulpit and fell asleep if I knew it would get to your soul. Because your life is too valuable to God. Listen, if you get a Rolex watch, it's worth a billion dollars. Somebody wants it, it's full of diamonds. They pay a billion. But no one goes in there and says, I'll give you five bucks. You wouldn't get the watch. But God flipped the whole thing. You were the Rolex, but you were broken, tattered, and full of nothing. No one would pay a billion, but Jesus paid a billion for you. He paid everything. Your life is valuable to God. Living it on your own sucks. It's not the way we were born to live. And I feel there's three more people here that you know that this is me because your heart's like this. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart saying, I want you to be free. There's three more of you who know, I need to get right with God. I've walked away from Him, or I need to meet Him for the first time. Put your hand up if that's you. Don't be afraid. Yes, I see your hand, my friend. Awesome. Yes, I see you too up the back. Praise God. Perfect, man. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. God cares about you. Now, guys, I, um, this room, 
interestingly enough, is shaped like a cross. See where that dividing part is? And up here, this is like the foot of the cross. So I want you to come to the foot of the cross. Come right now. If you put your hand up, please come. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this one or for other information, check out our website at firechurch.com.au. Right.